up, guys? This is the Strength Rehab Podcast. We're your hosts, Raul Exmayer and Brendan Parker. Thank you for tuning in. What's up, everyone? We decided to take a step back and kind of just address one topic. I mean, it probably will go down the rabbit hole and we won't even address the topic that we plan on, but at least we're trying. Um, so we decided that we're going to sit back and talk about goals and programming for those goals and how it relates to exercise. So the first thing that we want to talk about is just goals in general. Without a goal, you're, you're just not getting anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So what, what type of goals do you think are important when it comes to being a better athlete? Like I always say, it depends because um, my goals might not be your same goals and might not be the same goals of whoever's at the gym. Um, I mean, everyone has different goals. Like I've had throughout my lifting career, I have goals to train to be uh, faster at running, uh, to be stronger, uh, like um, for body composition to be, uh, to gain mass, to lose fat. Um, so it, it all depends. And goals are always changing also because mm-hmm. uh, with every single training program or block I have, my goals change. So as I said, it depends on the type of sport the person or the athlete plays or what, what are the person's goals. So, so let's go ahead and just start off with the typical, I want to put on more muscle mass. How does that differ from somebody that wants to be extremely strong and doesn't care about their, their body composition? The amount of volume uh, would be a starting point, but also food plays a role here. If you want to gain mass, you know you have to eat at a caloric surplus because um, if you eat at maintenance or at a deficit, you're never going to gain mass, even though you train a lot of volume, uh, progressive overloading. If you don't eat at a, a surplus, you're never gaining mass, even though your program's tailored to be a mass gaining program, whatever mm-hmm. that is. You're not going to gain mass if you're not eating the amount of calories that you need. So that's, I think that my number one step would be set a surplus and then live to, to gain mass. What, what do you think? You said volume. How would you describe volume? How would I describe volume? Yeah. That's a good question. So um, would you say just like just the weight, amount of weight lifted? In a session. In a session? Yeah. Okay. And progressively overloading would be if I lifted on my deadlift today 4,000 pounds, next session will be more than that. So that's what progressive overload means. Right. Just to, just to give the, the listeners a little bit more insight, uh, when he says 4,000 pounds, it's not 4,000 pounds exactly, loaded exactly. on a bar. It's uh, Let's say you do 135 for 10. You're going to do 135 times 10, and that's the amount of weight you lifted in a single set. Yep. Um, I would agree with you. When it comes to putting on lean muscle mass, the number one deciding factor is, one, how much weight are you lifting in a session, volume, and two, are you giving your body the nutrients it needs to be putting on this weight? NSCA says you should be putting on about 1.4 to 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram. That's about... 0.8 0.8 to 1 gram per body weight if it's pounds. In, in pounds, perfect. Yeah, so if you are somebody that's listening, you're like, okay, I'm not putting on the muscle mass that I want to be putting on, you need to be addressing are you recovering well starting with protein. Also, keep in mind that putting on lean muscle mass isn't something you do very fast. 
It, it's something that you need to force an adaptation with, and your body is going to be stubborn every step of the way. It takes time. And also, if you're an experienced lifter, it's going to be a lot higher than if you have been lifting for two or three months. Exactly. That's when newbie, newbie gains. gains yeah, come <laughs> in. So if, you, if you've been lifting for three, four, or more years, it's, it's going to be hard. Even though you eat correctly, you sleep, even though you train correctly, it's, it's going to take some time. Yeah. So when it comes to – let's just – I'm going to give you a – a case study and see where your mind would go with this. Um, my goal is to get out of pain. Every time I walk, my knee is having an issue. Um, what would be your mindset? Let's say with within the squat. Within the squat at 315, my, my knee hurts. Well, number one, I'm going to find your provocative load mm-hmm. and then adjust it to a one that you can tolerate, if mm-hmm. that means. If it means a lesser or, or less range of movement or anything anything that gets your symptoms or your pain to be less than what you're feeling and once your tissue is desensitized i'm gonna load it mm-hmm. once it gets stronger there i'm gonna go back to your full squat or to whatever movement you were feeling pain and i'm gonna still load it to see if it's better basically calm your tissue down or your symptoms down load it Find a more tolerable one, little by little, and just build it back up. Mm-hmm. I, I think the key thing that you're you're bringing to the forefront here is there's no inactivity. Exactly. Now, even with there, if there is mechanical damage, and we're not we're not talking severe, we're just talking about the minor that it may be there, may not be there. The key is to move. The key is to bring bring inflammation into the area because we know that is the healing process of our body. Um, I so agree with that. If if an easy and uh, an example we can see often is uh, low back pain while deadlifting. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to recommend bed rest to an athlete or to a person that hurt their back or that has low back pain because of their deadlifting. Mm-hmm. I would find some tolerable movements, some tolerable, tolerable motions. Either it'd be a simple hinge, uh, decreased range of motion, a kettlebell squ- uh, deadlift or whatever. Find something tolerable and mm-hmm. do it for some amount of time. But... Once you get stronger in that movement, you're going to little by little go to the normal deadlift that got you injured. Because if you never address it and you never get stronger at it, you're never going to get better. Exactly. There's a huge psyche to it, right? Yep. If you tell yep. an athlete, hey, you can't do anything for a certain amount of time, you, you might as well just put them out of their misery. You know, they're not getting better, so they know they're getting worse. So if you give them something, like you mentioned in the past, small wins with it throughout the session, they are going to be mentally more sound, and that's going to... It's proven to help them with pain tolerance. And it's not only for athletes, but for every single person. Exactly. Precisely. So where do you, where, where would you put tempo when it comes to pain tolerance? Well, tempo is like a box in your toolbox. You can either – because we know tempo works. For example, if someone has knee pain mm-hmm. while squatting, I would decrease their load, put them on – Tempo squats, either be three-second eccentric and three seconds up or whatever tempo I decide, mm-hmm. um, just to clear some of his mechanics that might help with the pain because pain is not only mechanical, and we know that, but I think, I mean, I don't know where I would put it because there's not, like, a specific time to put it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it would depend on my client. If I, find, if I find a tolerable tempo for someone that has knee pain while squatting because it was the example we were talking about, I would use it, mm. but it's it's really highly relative to either to each person because right. I would 
use tempo for a client and then for another client I would use another stuff so it, it just kind of depends on what I see with the person Extreme, uh, yeah it's extremely it, subjective it, it's, it's subjective and specific to the person mm -hmm. uh, that, that's my thought what about you? when it comes to tempo I like the idea of I like because I, I like to think of pain being just your brain telling you something's wrong right and I think tempo just gives a long strong stimulus to the brain saying this is okay this is okay this is okay so I think not only could that benefit in the sense of desensitizing the tissue as we mentioned prior but also it can reinforce great form and hopefully not overload the tissue that should have been overloaded to begin with a good example that's not pain related but for example uh knee valgus which is your knee coming in during your squat mm -hmm. it might or might not be bad um when it comes to pain or performance because you see some of the strongest athletes Uh, squatting 800 pounds and th they have nivalgus without right. pain but if it's for longevity or whatever a good uh, a good mechanism that you could use to address it is a simple te tempo squat because mm -hmm. and you're consciously bringing your knees out right. uh, it, it doesn't have to do and to do anything with pain but it helps a lot it helps to clear out that nivalgus or virus that's happening right Right. There's not going to be any uh, weak links in the chain. Exactly. Like I said, it's a tool in, tool in the toolbox that you should definitely know how and when to use it. Mm -hmm. And then we, we know with uh, what the Nordic hamstring curls and all these other heavy eccentric based lifts, they're extremely great for strength and rehab purposes. So if you're out there listening with some kind of nagging pain, if I would say look for something with tempo because I've seen some great results with it. I I wouldn't see there's really it's really hard to go wrong because you're gonna have a decreased load and you're taking your time with the lift. So I think it's relatively safe. Let your ego out of the door and just decrease your load and do some tempo. <laughs> exactly. Make <Feel like> you <laughs> shake. <laughs> just go in the corner so no one can see you. <laughs> um, so another thing that I wanted to address with pain is where where do you think consistency lies with trying to overcome pain? Consistency is everything. Mm. If you're not consistent uh, with your rehab program or with your training, you're not going anywhere. Um, if your pain is something that's been accumulating for months or weeks or years, it'll definitely not go away in just one single session. Mm. Uh, you got to understand that pain, pain's not bad, but if you want to get rid of your pain really quick, just know that it won't happen. And if it happens, it's just a short-term mechanism because... Mm -hmm. To get out of pain, you got to put in the work. So, for example, if you're if you're going to a physical therapist or a chiropractor, uh, a common error I see is that you think you're gonna be pain free because of what they do and not because of what you do. Mm -hmm. But if you put in the work outside of the office, that's where your pain and your function is gonna be better. Right. You gotta actively do it and not and not. Um, Just depend on passive therapies. Right. But consistency, like I said, is everything. If I do a little bit every single day, I'm going to get better than if I do a lot of it just one day. Yeah. So yeah. I would just be consistent over everything else, over perfection or over everything else. What about you? I would say the two things that you said and one you jogged my memory of what I wanted to bring up is I didn't, I didn't want us to look like those guys that are completely trashing passive modalities because they definitely have definitely. their place, right? Um, I think our large stick about not liking passive modalities is the, the helplessness that is learned through the patient being given the passive modalities. It, it deprives the patient from self-efficacy too. Exactly. Um, I mean, I will use passive modalities in the future. I'm not talking crap about them or anything like that. But as you said, they have a time and a place in mm -hmm. treatment. Um, 
I would use passive modalities if it helps you feel better in order to do an exercise or something that I want you to do. But just understand that it's a short-term mechanism. Like right. I said, it'll make you feel better for a couple of hours, but you wake up next morning and you feel the same. That's, I mean, passive modalities are good. They have a time and a place, but 100% active modalities, movement, and all of that stuff goes over passive modalities. It's proven. It's not an argument. It just passive modalities, in my mind, is putting duct tape over a leaky faucet. You know, exactly. It's a temporary fix, and it can get you, it can, you – for the plumber to come in and fix it, which would be exercise. Um, and if you make the patient – get rid of their symptoms or of their pain or of their issue by themselves moving, that's a huge win and and, and that's self-efficacy right there. Mm-hmm. And that's what every patient needs. They just need to understand that they do not need to depend on you or on your treatment in order to get better. Yeah. You just guide them through the process. Exactly. It doesn't get better than that. Exactly. The other thing that you mentioned was consistency. It's it's the same thing with medications, the same thing with everything. You can't miss a day and then double up the day after. Exactly. It doesn't work like that. Um, a little bit of stimulus daily, especially when we're talking about pain or range of motion, is, is shown to be more effective than trying to double up every other day. Yep. Uh, that being said, don't this isn't like a rule that one fit applies to all. If you are heavy deadlifting, heavy squatting, doing these other things that take a lot of uh, effort and energy out of you, then you should have some days in between each of these stimuluses. But if it's low level and it's daily, that's going to show the most forced adaptation over time. Um, I think I'm I'm good on the pain subject. Are you good on the pain subject? I am. Yeah, definitely. All right. So how does – because we have these two camps, right? We have these athletes – and then you have these older athletes or older adults that have this mental block. You know, just like, oh, I used to do this back in the day, but I'm, I'm old now. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I used to hit 405, but now I have shitty knees. It's just like, well, it doesn't work like that, you know? Uh, how does your programming or how would you program differently, differently if not at all or if so between an older person looking for longevity and somebody that's trying to optimize their strength in a specific area? Each programming will have staples and some similar exercises, mm-hmm. um, but for for longevity, I would do only like maybe three days full body workouts, um, and emphasize on functional movements that highly specific to the goals of the person. Because mm-hmm. uh, as I said earlier, goals are specific to each person and relative. Um, but when it, when it comes to you said strength, right? Someone yeah, strength, strength versus longevity. The volume would also be different because mm-hmm. uh, we know both would have progressive overload in their program. That's a no-doubter. But for strength, uh, we we talked earlier about, about the volume, more volume each session, meaning mm-hmm. that if I lifted 4,000 total this session, I'm going to do more and more next next session. Yep. But for longevity, I would still squat. I would still deadlift. Right. I would still overhead press, bench, and all of that. But with a different intent in mind. Um, Just trying to find those, like I'm going to use those and variations of those moves in a way that I could adapt it to my daily life. Mm. For example, an easy exercise that everyone should do, let's talk about the squat. Mm. It doesn't get better than that, either for strength or longevity. What changes is the intent and the volume and the frequency of the training maybe, but... Nothing is more functional than a squat. 
if you want to train for longevity, then squat. Mm-hmm. Um, sit down and sit up. For example, if you're an older adult, that you see a lot of adults or old people, um, whenever they go to, whenever they want to sit down, you see that there's a specific, uh, there's a specific uh, place whenever. Okay, let's say I'm I have, I'm I'm an older adult and I want to sit down. Yep. Whenever I start the movement, whenever I'm halfway through or just right at the right before sitting down, you see up. that I just it's like I just let gravity <laughs> do the work. Yeah, this fly into and the chair. What's the best exercise to prevent that? To have stronger glute max, which I think is the movement that prevents you from falling. Yeah. You squat. Anti gravity muscle. If you do a little bit every single day, like we said, if you're consistent every single day, squatting a little bit. When you're older, you're sitting down, sitting up, bending down, bending up. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna be way, way easier if you're prepared to do the movement. Yeah, yeah. I, I the thing that you just jogged my memory about is a recent study came out. They just did squats and hip thrust, and then they marked the plyometrics, uh, their, their, the plyometrics, how well they were doing specific jumps and speed and stuff like that. Just doing squat and hip thrust, which is clearly just a one. There's sagittal plane movements improved almost everything across the board. So even though it's not specific to a, mm-hmm. a single leg bound or a box jump or this or some that, it's it actually has a kind of like a a blanket effect across all the metrics. And like you said, all these even if it's longevity or strength, there's going to be staple movements. These these movements help everything. So why aren't you doing it? You know. Mm-hmm. So I I grew that something I forgot to say because I went like I had a brain fart <laughs> on yeah. the on before but something I forgot to say was there would I would not program really different for longevity or strength because if you want to live longer get stronger yeah you're harder to kill so exactly so there's even legit and great research that says that lifting weights and getting stronger reduces all cause mortality mm. so. If you want to train for longevity, I would get you stronger. 100%. And so the lifting program would be really similar to an athlete that's trying to get stronger for his or her sport. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would say the last thing that I would talk about, because like with longevity, I would definitely agree with the full body work. I would agree with, obviously, it being consistent. Everything needs to be consistent if you want it to work, right? Um, I would just say the last thing is you got to pick a, pick a thing that you're going to do. 100%. If you and don't something- want to do it. Something you enjoy doing also. Exactly. Because if you're training for longevity, that means that you're basically going to do it for the rest of your life. You're in it for the long haul. Yeah. And if you can't if you can't make a program or agree to a program that you're like, wow, I'm excited for this, you are not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I got squat six sets of five. That's miserable. You know, I, I, we just did it last week. It's <laughs> miserable, but we're trying to get bigger and stronger. But if you're doing longevity purposes – Pick something that's lower intensity, something that you feel good when you leave the gym, you know? And make it fun because if, make if it it's fun. not fun, you're, it's not going to be – I mean if it's not fun, you're not going to do it exactly. for the rest of your life. So like, like there's some things like if you're saying, oh, well, how do I make it fun? Well, you can make small little smaller goals, small wins, right? Today I want to PR in this arbitrary thing. Who cares? It's a small win, right? Or have a lifting partner. Even though they're either way stronger, way way faster, blah, blah, blah. You can find something comparable between you two, and you can always you can always compete against it. And also that friendly competition is great. Oh, 100%. Just like you know, alluding back to our episode two things, it's anabolic, right? Exactly. It's, it's, it, but 
I wanted to ask this question to a couple of our guests, and I'm going to ask it because I like this. Do you think that mindset is born within us, or do you think culturally we kind of develop this competitiveness? I think we're all born a little competitive. Uh-huh. That's just human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not good to say it, but we always want to be better than the ones that's around us. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're being honest, I want to do better than you, better than the other guy, better than the other guy. Um, but, I mean, as I said, I think it's human nature to be competitive, but we got to consciously think about it and not, I mean, com- competitiveness is good. Like I said, friendly competitiveness is yeah. great. Yeah. But I think that our biggest competition would be ourselves. We yeah. just got to be better than we were yesterday because if we keep comparing ourselves, if I compare myself to you or to anyone else, 100%, there's always lots of people that are better than us in everything. In school, they're smarter than us. They're bigger than us. Uh, they live more ways than us. So competitiveness, competitiveness is great, but I think that your main competition is yourself mm-hmm. and your mindset. Yeah. I, I, the large thing is if, if anybody has the, a basic idea when it comes to the scientific method, you have to isolate your variables, right? In order to compare one thing to another, everything needs to be exactly the same except for one variable. You can't do yep. that when you compare that to a different human being. Yep. So if you're very good at one thing, you can't take that for granted because somebody else is probably not very good at that but could crush you in any other facet. So it's just another thing to consider. Um, That's why I think it's stupid to compare yourself to everyone. It's just not great. I, I think it's. I think the big thing is, and I agree. It's just everyone has at least a little bit of competitiveness. It's just how it's expressed, and when it's expressed, is it shut down? Like for example, like like I said, I'm very interested when it comes to uh, child development and in the respect to sports. If I if I'm trying to express this competitiveness, but I have a coach that absolutely shuts it down by putting me against some guy that's light years better than me, I'm that's going to teach me like that's all was that negative or positive reinforcement? You're adding maybe a positive punishment. You're you're adding a stimulus and it's not a good thing. So yeah, it's just like okay, well I don't want to be competitive anymore because every time I'm competitive I get my shit kicked in. Mm-hmm. So I, I I agree with that. Everyone wants to do their best, but it's just a, the fact of how it's expressed. Just find your balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that leads us to our our last thing would be just strength in general so like i know we're just kind of catering to our audience i mean some people want to live for longevity some people want to do pain and some people straight up just want to lift the world on their back (laughs) right so yeah we we talked about how longevity and strength kind of are the same thing just a little bit different would you agree that between strength and longevity um aside from the tent the it just the the volume the progressive volume overload would just be a slightly more aggressive it would definitely be more aggressive. Um, and also, when it comes to strength and performance, in this case, there's there's little details and stuff that you could do mm-hmm. to be better at strength and at performance that you don't necessarily have to do in, if you're training for longevity. Right. For example, learning how to brace against a belt, for example. If you're training for longevity, I mean, you don't have to do it. If, you're, right. if you want to hit big numbers and better numbers... 100%, you you got to learn those itty-bitty details. That will help you be better at what you're doing or stronger at what you're doing. Um, just consciously, for example, let's talk about the squat, the knees going out, spreading the feet outwards. If you're training for longevity, 
you you don't even have to think about it right. and and odds are that you didn't even know about it mm. but if you're performance based strength based if you're preparing to be stronger or compete or anything those are the details that will help you beat your opponent and be stronger right so i think that uh, another main difference would be knowing everything you need to know when it comes to performance and strength rather than just doing exercise for longevity it's right. definitely not the same Right. I would say like another thing is is when you're in longevity, you're not really hitting those top end numbers. So you're not necessarily compensating like you would if you're absolutely in your 90 to 100%. Yep. And that's where the cues really come in. Like, oh, leg drive, leg extension mm -hmm. when you drive, when you squat, you need to screw your feet in. These All these things just get blown away when that weight's heavy. Your body's going to find that easiest route to get that bar back up if it can. Um, yeah. So when it comes to... Another thing that I want to talk about with strength is movement proficiency, movement proficiency right? Now, now that you say something, now that you say movement proficiency, what emphasis would you give form when it comes to strength training and longevity training? Yeah, see? How important is it? See, th this is like uh, when, we, when we're coaching our clients, we have a slight different perspective on things. I'm always trying to train. It's not slight. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just I, I'm always – I'm always treating – I don't care if you're a 90-year-old person or a 15-year-old person. You're an athlete. You, you came to me to be the best you could be. And the only way – depending on your metrics, and my metrics would be bigger bench, bigger squat, bigger this, bigger that because that's the type of program we were running, is every little detail that's uh, in my eyes is a deficit needs to be brought up versus you mentioned if it doesn't hurt, don't fix it. Is that is that how the stance you would take on it? Basically, yeah. For example um – Lower back uh, flexing while deadlifting. Yeah. Um, it you don't have you don't need a perfect form to be able to hit big numbers without injuring yourself. Because mm -hmm. if we see the best deadlifters in the world, the strongest ones, they have flexion in their back while 100%. they're deadlifting. 100%. They don't they don't have the perfect form. Mm. The like you you know what we mean the perfect form whatever that is, but they don't have the perfect form we see on Instagram and coaches teaching. Right. They they even have more flexion that you and I have. Yeah. And just because they don't have the perfect form or because they have uh, some flexion in their low back while they're lifting does that mean uh does that mean they're gonna get injured no does that mean they're gonna have pain no um could it be a prettier deadlift 100 um but that's why i i mean don't get me wrong I, it's not that i don't care about form because i do care right but i don't get into as much details as you do just because i when it comes to injuries and pain and all of that i don't think it's that important but i know that you defer yeah. So why would you, why do you emphasize so much on having the perfect or best form? I, I would say when it comes down to it, it's not, I, I agree with everything you just said 100%. It just, I think it's the intent, the absolute intent. If we allow things to slide in the get-go and we're working with lower end athletes, oh, it was okay here. Oh, it was okay here. And then once they hit that, that point where the tissue is overloaded and then we're in hot water, um, Will they ever get to that? Once again, it's subjective. I, I think that if I am a stickler with you, with your 75%, I'm going, you know what I'm saying? That, that you know, I'm a stickler when it gets high, heavier and heavier and heavier. When you're at 95%, you're thinking about it. You're 100% thinking about it. Even though the load is going to allow, let's say, deadlift, allow your lower back to flex, you know you're fighting against that with every inch of your life. And I think that's a good cue to have in the sense of, 
am I mad that my, my back flexed during the deadlift? No, not necessarily. I'm mad that – how what I'm saying. I'm mad that I allowed it to or maybe my, my programming failed in that respect. You know what saying? Like it's going to happen. It's inevitably going to happen mechanically. Our body's always going to find that compensation pattern. It's going to be easier. What, make, what makes it easier? Getting it closer to your body. How do you do that? You bend your lower back. So what, what do you think is more important? Perfect form or great form or having a tissue that's capable of lifting the way that you need. Basically, tissue preparation. Tissue preparation. Uh, so I would say they – once again, if we're going under the intent for strength, I would say tissue preparation 100%. And if we were in a sport that's like super variable, like a collision sport like football – You need tissue. I think tissue goes over t uh, technique because at the end of the day, you can be perfect in everything, but as soon as you get pushed, pushed off balance, you're going to tear everything because you're not ready for it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm such a big advocate for basically loading your tissue and for it to become resilient rather than concentrating more on the perfect form. Right. But that, that's just me and everyone's different. If you go to another coach, he might be more form, perfect form-based. Right. But when it comes to me and my clients or our clients – I prefer them to progressively overload their tissues so that they're capable to do the movement rather than just concentrate on, ha on having the perfect form. Right. But I think it's also like paralysis it's, by analysis, right? Like if you get a coach that's always saying this, 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 and this, you're thinking about 100 things and not even thinking about the lift. Um, there's just the, – there's I, like I said, I'm in basically the same vein of thought as you. It's just slight, slight differences. Um, like yeah, but, for example, the yeah. leg drive and the bench, you know? I believe you can't set anything unless you have a, a, a good set feet. If, if, you're, if your feet aren't completely tensed and set in the right manner, you can't set your arch. You can't set your arch. You can't set your, your scaps. can't set your scaps. That barbell is not going in a straight pattern. I don't, give a sh I don't care what you say. Well, 100%. Um, but don't get me wrong. Uh, even though I'm not a huge advocate of the perfect form, I try to have the most perfect form that I can have. Right, it's room for improvement, right? Yep. If you and that—that's once I circle back to the intent, right? Are you gonna have perfect form? Probably not. No one really has perfect form where they're the 100%. But if the intent is there, I believe the injury risk is going to be lower. Lower. Yeah. That and that's that's where my my large when you see me talking to the clients, it's just like, hey, maybe you should work on this. Maybe you should work on this. It's just basically I'm planting seeds. So hopefully down the line, they're like, oh. Uh, for example, I mean, he might listen to this, might not. Matt, Matt is telling us <laughs> exactly what he did wrong prior to us even seeing the videos, you know? And I think that is what a coach should do. You, you, you set them up to understand what they did wrong. They come to you saying, hey, I did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. And then we can guide them from there. Maybe, uh, maybe you did this wrong, but that's okay, you know? Because at the end of the day, what, as a doctor, as a coach, as anything, you were trying to enable whoever comes through your doors to live their best life. Whether that be mentally, physically, or I guess through strength as well, right? And as a coach or a doctor or whatever you are, I think that you should also concentrate on what your client is doing right mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what is wrong with him or, or her. Right. Because if you say everything negative right in front, odds are you're going to lose that client or that patient. So one thing I would focus on before telling them what they're doing wrong is just Tell them what they're doing right mm -hmm. and how proud you are and then give them something to work on. Right. But if you go directly to, okay, you need to work on this, on this, on that, he, he's not going to feel good because we're human and we, we want to hear or read that we're doing good. Right. 
Right. You so want that's, that something to, that's something to think on. So whenever you have a client or a patient or someone in front of you, tell them what is right with them yep. and then correct them on what they need to be better at. I would also say like, like uh, just to arm the people that are listening that don't have a coach, they don't have these things. Just be honest with yourself. You can write things into a book if you have to. Just just say, I did this correctly. I didn't do this correctly. When you look at the pros and cons, if there's more cons than pros, maybe you're being a little bit harder on yourself. Or now you actually have an objective. Now you reset your goal. You reset your program. And then you attack those cons until everything's on the pro side. It's it's that simple. But a lot of people don't want to go through the effort of thinking. And, and and it sucks because when you don't go through that small effort of thinking, you're just setting yourself up to get nowhere. Mm-hmm. You're wasting time. And if anybody follows our post, it's I think that is our most precious commodity. If And I like Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee has said this. Like, if you truly like life or you truly love life, you need to respect time because what is life made out of? Time. And – you know, Bruce Lee, I mean, that guy's a monster in all every facet of his, whatever he did, you know. Um, yeah. And just I just I, I have three little facts here that just to bring it home yeah. that I wrote down is just basically if you want to improve your 40-yard dash time, you need to train the glutes in a horizontal fashion. So that would be hip thrust, uh, band pull-throughs, uh, anything of those sorts. If you want to increase your vert, you want to increase your squat. They're almost one-to-one when it comes to it. I would say the intent would be a little bit different. When you squat – Coming out of that hole, you want to be like a gunshot as quick mm-hmm. as possible. Get us to, get to the top as fast as you can. And as for speed, if you're an athlete out there that's trying to improve their speed, one, it all comes down to technique, right? If you are not running efficiently, you are just – you're bleeding energy, right? If you can get that down, I mean that's going to be more towards a coach helping you. Uh, once your technique is sound, your stride length is set because everybody has different lengths of their legs. They're going to have a set stride length. Now power comes in. How much power can I put into this ground to displace me forward? Because that's all running is. So my suggestion would be to, once again, hip thrust because the 40-yard dash, but also other moves that can absolutely put power into that floor. Those are just three quick things I wanted to bring up that are backed by some kind of study that's respected by the strength and conditioning coaches of this world. Um, I like hard facts, like quick facts, so I just want to throw that in at the end. Is there anything that you want to bring up? I think I'm good. How about you? Good to go. I'm going to enjoy this weekend.